Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. It's time to take your career to the next level. With over 150 graduate degree programs, the Catholic University of America, located in Washington, D.C., provides world-class academics with a student experience that educates the whole person, mind, body, and spirit. Whether your professional calling is in engineering, nursing, social work, or any of our other exceptional degree programs, Encounter the best of everything that Catholic University has to offer and discover the best in yourself. Learn more today at catholic.edu forward slash grad admissions. This program is sponsored by the Kavli Foundation based in Los Angeles, California. The Kavli Foundation is dedicated to advancing science for the benefit of humanity. I'm Alan Alda. And this is Clear and Vivid, conversations about connecting and communicating. The biggest thing that I learned when I took over my show and, you know, started running my crew and being a director, everybody needs you to be able to make a a decision. And that became my superpower. So I went from, you know, being home with my daughters who were like, get out of here and not listening to me. And I'd be like, oh my God, all these people are listening to me. That's, that's their job. That's Pamela Adlon. And the show she's talking about is, of course, Better Things, the hit television show that starred Pamela as Sam, an actor raising three daughters and caring for her mother in Los Angeles. Pamela not only starred, she produced, wrote, and directed. And I have a personal connection with Pamela. I was close friends with her mom and dad since she was a kid. Her dad, Don Siegel, and I wrote together, and he was such he was such a colorful character. I even based a character in a movie I wrote on him. I loved reconnecting with Pamela. This is so great to be talking with you again. We haven't talked face-to-face, even on Zoom or anything. In, in many years, many years. I remember you. As a young girl. Yeah. And I remember the family story. Tell me if I have the story right, that you wanted to be an actress. hmm And your parents didn't want you to at that age. You were too young. And then you said to them one day, can you give me a lift to Beverly Hills? I have to see my agent. Yeah. I, I made an appointment with an agent. How old were you then? I was probably around 11 years old. <laughs> and you got your own agent. Yeah, and I... Well, because these these kids, like, were, I guess, like, L.A. kids. I wanted to be an L.A. kid. And they were talking about having an agent and that they were actors. And so I remember one of them showed me a picture. They We used to do composites in those days. Like, you're throwing a Frisbee. You're on the phone. Um, And so she had, her agent's name was on the composite, Beverly Hecht. And I went to the phone book and I called her and I made an appointment and I told my mom and she said, oh, she said, well, it's a lot of rejection. And, you know, but they were always they were always very supportive. It's funny because then I ended up making money when I was a teenager um, on a show that helped me out. And I was able to, like, start my life 
financially. And then later, as you know, my parents went bankrupt and you and Arlene helped them so much by letting them live in your house. And, uh, you know, my parents lost everything. And this, this story is, is, is incredible because I always talk about you and Arlene and how kind you were and how you helped my parents. And then like a year and a half later, my dad dropped dead in that house. And then I was like, oh shit. And my mom was still there. And, and I called you guys and, and I said, what do we do? And, and I remember Arlene was like, look, you are in no hurry. You let your mother get her bearings, get back on her feet. And, you know, eventually I was able to, you know, buy a house for my mom. And But I'll never forget your generosity. Well, it wasn't hard. We, I loved your dad. We rode together. Yeah. I, I kidded him mercilessly. We both spoke at a birthday of his, I think a 50th birthday or something like that. Oh, my God. This was at the improv and Bud Friedman just passed away. That's right. That's right. There was a whole big audience there that night. And it was supposed to be a kind of a roast. Yes. So you were hilarious describing him coming downstairs in the morning in his bathrobe <laughs> and describing the, his look. He got big laughs. But I didn't, I didn't write any jokes. All I did was read a transcript of how he spoke to a waitress in a restaurant. As he did it, I wrote it down on the napkin because I thought it was hilarious. He got so furious oh about my God. cutting the bellies out of the oysters or something. I don't know what he was. He was crazy, but it, it got it got yaks because of, of it was him. It was him talking. Yeah, all I did was I remember going up on stage at the Improv, and oh my God, God, God rest his soul, Bud Friedman. He put on the marquee. So in those days, it was just, you know, you put the letters in the lines and it said, happy birthday, Don Siegel. But he dropped the second L down two lines because it drove my father crazy that nobody could spell his name right. <laughs> and all I did when I was on stage was uh, d talk about how he denied snoring. And then I played a tape of him snoring. <laughs> <laughs> From getting your own agent at the age of whatever that was, 11 or something. Yeah. Then you went on to this really interesting career of doing voiceovers, mm -hmm. King of the Hill, mm -hmm. where you played a guy. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I found out that my voice was like naturally in a, a boyish place. And it was so funny because um, when I was doing like, when I was acting on camera, you know, in the 80s, I was always playing like these um, kind of straddling two, two lines, masculinity and femi femininity. Like I was always like in the boy parts and, you know, I mean, literally playing boys. And really? Then, I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I did a show called The Red Fox Show, which I was later fired from and replaced with Sinbad. He gets all my parts. But I <laughs> it's good to have somebody who can do your parts. I know. But you know, I that was originally for a boy and I auditioned in drag. And th there's a lot of that about my career. <laughs> and then I started doing voices and playing boys in animation. 
You know, there was a tradition in the Yiddish theater where women would play boy parts, and they were called trouser parts. Oh, my God. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, that's so incredible. on an old tradition. That's me. Good old trouser parts. And then Californication. Yep. Which you did for how many years? So we did seven seasons of Californication, uh, blissful, dirty. It's a good thing my father was already dead when I did Californication. I don't think <laughs> he, he would. <laughs> would have been see? upset. <laughs> he would have been really not so okay with it. Um, you know, we got into all kinds of shenanigans, but the two shows you just mentioned, King of the Hill and Californication, uh, really kind of helped form me and shape me as a writer and a showrunner and a director. I really, those were a huge training ground for me. Were you actually directing on those shows? No, I I was not. And I wasn't writing on those shows. I just was learning. Yeah, yeah, I know what that's yeah. like. When you did voice acting, mm-hmm. what do you call that? Vo- voice yeah, acting. Yeah, voice acting. I only did it once. I did, I was about 23, trying to get, you know, willing to take any job I could find. I did a beer commercial, the voiceover for a beer commercial. What beer? Come on. I don't think they make it anymore. I can't remember. Paps Blue Ribbon. Schlitz. Schlitz. Maybe it was Schlitz. (laughs) But I was a guy and I was also the devil on his shoulder and also an angel on his oh. shoulder. I think the devil was telling him not to drink the beer and the angel was telling him to drink it. I can't remember. Oh, my God. But, you know, I have to say something before you ask me about me. Today is a huge day. And Why? the beer commercial is not the only thing you did because today is the <laughs> 50th anniversary of Free to Be You and Me. Oh, it's today? No kidding. Yes. I didn't know it was today. Oh, it is a big it's day. It's a big day. It's incredible. I mean, that that was a huge impact on my life. And you you did two things in that. You did uh, William Wants a Doll, and you did Atalanta yeah. with Marlo. Yeah, and I directed a lot of the sketches. Ugh. But Marlo really deserves so much credit for that because yeah. she understood the question of, are you a person or are you yeah. a girl? Yeah, you exactly. Know? I mean, she, she understood everything. She, she wanted kids to know that it was okay to have emotions and boys can cry and gender uh, bending and all of the, you know, like moms can, dr- some mommies drive trucks. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> some mommies run shows. Exactly. Oh my God. So congratulations. So Better Things, which so touched the culture that you won a Peabody Award, which means more than Emmys, the Peabody. It's trying to recognize the deepest kind of excellence. Yeah, I remember being in that room and thinking, oh, my God, I'm with CNN, like, war correspondents. This is crazy, (laughs) you know? Right. (laughs) I know your mom and dad. I knew your mom and dad. And the show is based on your relationship with your mother Mm -hmm. and your three daughters. And you have three daughters. Yes. How do all these people take it that you're writing about them? 
Well, or, um, or in some sense, writing about them. It's not literal. I know. Yeah, I mean, I I did actually create. I don't know how how many episodes you've seen, but I did create a my dad. I made a ghost Donald. Like I, I stuck him in the seventies with the giant collar and the big beard and the the ponytail yeah. and this w- wonderful actor named Adam Kolbersch played him. But it's so funny because. I remember Sweet Liberty and Bob Hoskins plays a version of my dad. I wrote that based on your father. Exactly. <laughs> so it's like, it's like that, you know, it's, you have the homage and I mean, the scene in Sweet Liberty kills me because he's, he's in the shower and he's like, what page are you on? Tell me what page you're on when you're laughing. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> it's re- I'm reading his script, and he wants to know what I'm laughing at. Exactly. I, I, every writer must have done that. Of course. But, you know, in terms of my show and portraying, you know, my mother, who Celia Emery plays my mom, and my three daughters, um, it was it was a jumping off point for me. And certainly it became like uh, life imitating art, imitating life all the time. And, you know, and then just fleshing things out from there. Um, You know, my daughters uh, are incredibly proud of me. And then part of them is probably like, oh, I hate that because that's not who I am. And I'm like, well, well, I can imagine. But did they ever say to you in the moment of tension, you're not going to use this, are you? Oh, I'm sure that happened many times. Or I would say, before you say anything, I have a whole storyline that goes like this. <laughs> so, I, so I made it up already. It's not <laughs> exactly. It's locked and loaded. <laughs> yeah. I wrote a movie called Four Seasons, which I really based on something that happened between me and a friend. Yeah. The friend, the friend was getting a divorce, and he didn't tell me, oh. and I was upset. and And it was it was really petty of me. So I thought it was really interesting. Yeah, I thing to I love the. But four I had seasons. to take people out. Thank you. But I had to take people out to dinner, friends of mine, and say, some of the people in this are friends. You're not the one. This person has your job. Oh. I'm not writing about you. Oh, I get what you mean. Yeah, you know, I think that at a certain point, it's like. You know what, uh, to quote Nora Ephron, everything is copy, you know, yeah. and you, you it, it's, it's things that you're inspired by or details that you remember. And um, I remember one of my friend's husbands, who's like one of the best guy in the world. He's like, why'd you make me into such a piece of shit? And I'm like, <laughs> it's not you, Stuart. It's so-and-so's husband. They're divorced now. But I'm like, I put a good person with a shitty person from different parts of my life, you know? Yeah, I would. And sometimes what I would do would be to take characteristics of one person I knew and mix them with characteristics of two or three other people. Absolutely. And sometimes it wasn't until I had four or five typical ways they behaved did I have a person who sounded real. But there was it wasn't one person. There you go. That's the best way. Like, you know, this is an incredible lesson for anybody who wants to create things. Don't stop at just one dimension. Mm. There's there's so many layers that you can put into 
a character, a story. You know, I'm I'm far more interested in dialogue and um, you know detail than I am in transfixing on what's the story? How did we get there? How did this happen? Um, I'm I'm far more guided by circumstance and uh, good dialogue and also no dialogue, just feeling. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, what, it's interesting what, what, you're, what you're edging into there, the idea of how you can share what you've learned with other people, especially younger people. You do that a lot, I get. It just feels good to bring people in and mentor people or just if there's people around you all the time when you're doing your job, bring them into your circle and explain the process while it's happening instead of uh, being selfish about what's going on with you. And, uh, you know, I'm a showrunner, I'm a director, I'm a producer, I'm a writer, but the biggest thing I am is a mom. And before I had my my kids, I was always kind of a mom, you know, Mm. to my friends. And so that's the way I run my business, which, you know, it's not always easy because I do get the shit kicked out of me once in a while. And, you know, you can never just kind of sail through or, or rest on laurels. You have to keep working constantly. And, you know, and, and for me being a woman, uh, I never really noticed that I was like a woman until, mm-hmm. you know, the past few years, it's, it's definitely a thing. And there's a, there's a double standard. And so how did you experience that? I'm very uh, kind and fair in the way that I do things. And mm-hmm. I um, I don't like people to feel uncomfortable. And I don't think that anybody in a working environment should feel anything but excited to be there and working. And and I just started noticing like like these weird shifts and I don't know. It's not a cliche. What's the word called when everybody says the nicest person in the business, Alan Alda? Oh, that's not a cliche. That's true. <laughs> that's called the truth. Boom. Exactly. <laughs> so, but you're a man. You know what I mean? And it's it's different for women. And so, so I know, in other words, you're saying if you're nice as a woman, they step all over you. Yeah. Yeah, I see what you mean. But I'm not willing to be an asshole. When we come back from our break, Pamela Adlon tells me how, as the showrunner of Better Things, she was able to manage her large crew and how her real mother and real three daughters felt about being the inspiration for the characters in the show. This program is sponsored by the Kavli Foundation, dedicated to advancing science for the benefit of humanity. The Foundation's mission is to stimulate scientific research in astrophysics, theoretical physics, nanoscience, and neuroscience, to strengthen the relationship between science and society, and to honor scientific discoveries with the Kavli Prize. 
Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. It's time to take your career to the next level. With over 150 graduate degree programs, the Catholic University of America, located in Washington, D.C., provides world-class academics with a student experience that educates the whole person, mind, body, and spirit. Whether your professional calling is in engineering, nursing, social work, or any of our other exceptional degree programs, Encounter the best of everything that Catholic University has to offer and discover the best in yourself. Learn more today at catholic.edu forward slash grad admissions. This is Clear and Vivid, and now back to my conversation with Pamela Adlon. She'd been telling me about her experience being a woman showrunner with a large production crew. Your crew and staff must be between 100 and 200 people. Yeah, when we're doing um, better things, yeah, there's many, many people. And the biggest thing that I learned when I took over my show and, you know, started running my crew and being a director and everybody needs you to be able to make a, a decision. Yeah. And that became my superpower. I just knew. I just knew what was going to work. I knew what was right. I knew what story to go with. I knew which character to go down that road with. And I had the trust of my network, which is like, uh, you know, unfathomable these days. Mm. You know, it was a different time. You know, um, I was able to really guide this show through these five seasons. What did you have to learn to lead so many people. Were you aware of, of having to accomplish something in yourself to be able to do that? Yeah, it was it was absolutely about uh, respect and collaboration. Mm. And, uh, you know, people would say, you know, I don't know how she does it because I was, you know, in starring in the show, directing, writing, producing. And I the answer is I don't do it alone. Um, and if you have a respectful, collaborative work environment, um, it's everything. The other thing is being a single mom of three girls. That is the most intense boot camp you could ever go through. <laughs> so I went from, you know, being home with my daughters who were like, get out of here and not listening to me. And I'd be like, oh, my God. All these people are listening to me. That's that's their job. So it was like the perfect. You, know, you can't fire your daughters. That's the only difference. <laughs> that's right. And I can't evict my mom. <laughs> what, how, how, how did she take being written about? Did, was she amused? Did she have a, a little uh, getting used to what she had to do or what? You know, my mom is such a good sport and she's going to be, she's going to freak out that you and I spoke today. She's going to be so happy. I'll give her my love. I will. Um, she always felt really pleased and happy to be part of the conversation. So I noticed she would get, you, you know, I mean, my mother drove me crazy for years, Alan. I mean, she would just start saying some story about something and I would be like, oh my God. Like, and then I finally, I looked at her one day and I was like, wait, this is funny. You're funny. And my mother became my muse. She really did. And 
I was able to, you know, I would write about things in the show that were like serious subject matter for Phil or uncomfortable or a little dark. And I would show her the shows and she would laugh. She would laugh and get such a kick out of it because my mother, you know, she's a hope and glory baby. She came from the war. Yeah. You know, you you cannot knock this lady over with, you know what I mean? Yeah. So she was just really thrilled and she's incredibly proud of me. And she, and this is another term, a thing about my dad. She always said to me through the years, it's a good thing your father's not alive to see this. <laughs> I heard you say in some interview once that there was a tense moment between the two of you, and she said, you'll love it when I talk like this. It's material for you. You got it. That's exactly right. You get all this material. <laughs> you can't get mad at <laughs> What about your daughters? I've heard you say in that same interview they voted on who was going to play them on the, on the show. Yeah, they all picked their counterparts. I showed them the castings. There were so many... A lot of people want their kids to be actors. <laughs> yeah, I'm always surprised it's at crazy. that. crazy. And it's, a lot of kids want to be actors. But yeah, my daughters helped me choose the three girls who played, you know, their counterparts, versions of them. And there was uh, one actor who was playing uh, one of the daughters. And two weeks before we started shooting the series, she dropped out. And then I had to recast and reshoot their part of the pilot. So it's like there's so many stories within stories of the tales of better things. How do you do it, by the way? It, it takes time to write. takes time to yeah. produce. Yeah. And then there's the problem of directing a scene that you're in. When, when I first started to direct a movie, I was Yeah, in, you know what this is like. One of my daughters said to me, how are you going to direct yourself? What are you going to say? You, over there. <laughs> well, that's what it's like for me. You see, you, you are literally one of my heroes. I remember you so vividly. You and Donald, my father, were so enamored with each other. And you were just this god, you know, and you just took my little dad along for the ride. And, and I watched you, you know, be a director, direct yourself, be a writer, you know, and then like have all this, you know, philosophy and, and, and like you would know things about the Dybbuk and the trouser, what the hell, the trouser pants people. And I, you're, you're just, you know, you're, you're one of my heroes forever. And, and, and it's, it's, it's hitting me now that you understand what it's like to direct yourself. And, and for me, I was able to, um, I just would call Sam her and I would say, I've got to get her over here. And, mm. you know, right when I started, my show started picking up and doing my show. It's like, that's when my jawline started melting. And I was like, oh my God, I had a great <laughs> jawline until I became the star of my own show. <laughs> but, um, you know, when you can be objective and step outside and think about the big picture and the whole yeah. movie. Um, it's been one of the greatest uh, joys of my life. Now, you have a new movie that you just finished shooting, right? Yes. 
Did you write it too? I know you directed it. No, I just directed it. And um, that was, uh, you know, it was an extension of, of what I, I do on my on my show, but it was like extremely, you know, grueling. New York City, July, August, all on location. Um, but it's a it's a beautiful movie and, and I'm um, so happy with what we have. And it was a big honor. What direction do you see yourself going in now? Or do you do you have any idea? Are you improvising your life? I improvise my life. I don't I don't know what's next. Because you've done you that you've finished better yeah. things. Yeah. So is this is directing movies the main so thing? So I, I started a development company three years ago and so I would love to get uh more shows on TV and I would love to direct movies. I want to keep writing, but I also want to be able to do the projects that I really want to do. I want to mentor. I want to have job fairs to teach um, young people mm. in, in low-income communities all of the jobs that are available in the entertainment industry. Like everybody who works in post has always been like old white guys. There's so many opportunities for women and uh kids that have no idea what's out there. So, you know, it's a whole mixed bag. Like I'm, I, I'm really excited to keep working, but also it goes hand in hand with pushing other people forward and helping other people. Yeah. Your production company is all women. I yes. Slam book. What's it called? Slam book. Slam book. What does that mean? Don't you remember slam books, Alan? No, what I what I come on, Uncle Alan. So when I was growing up, I'm too old to know what you're talking about. So when I was growing up, um, we used to do slam books in in school in middle school, and so like the the term comes from being in class and trying to write in the book and slamming it closed before the teacher catches you. (laughs) What would you write? So you would write like you know your desert island band. You know, the three bands, if you could have any band in the world or like, like, <laughs> who do you love or who do you hate or what's your favorite food or, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? And you'd, you'd write all your dreams and hopes and slam it down before the teacher would see. <laughs> I'm glad I asked. That's a whole, no, whole another world for me. Yeah. <laughs> you, you really do do everything. I, I just came across this. I didn't know you had done it a podcast for Audible called Death by Unknown Event, which was one of their top 100 recordings of the year. It was? That's what I read. That's so cool. Wow. I did an Audible recording, and I think it was one of their top thousands. (laughs) Well, there was a one in it somewhere, a number one. (laughs) (laughs) It was released in 2021. Yeah. You recorded during the pandemic? I did, and... um, you know, I didn't want it to be exploitive. It was very um, important that it wasn't just like, ooh, murder podcast. Like, I I read all about this woman, Cindy James, that it was about, and it was a very dense reportage of her case, which was crazy, but it was absolutely fascinating. And, um, you know, I felt uh, honored to do it. It was a lot of talking, though. 
I know it takes, oh and, and you did it in a studio. Yeah, I did it at home. Oh God! In every room I was in, they said, "No, we can still hear the geese out the window." <laughs> Go into another room. Uh, finally, I spent the entire summer in a closet. Yep, <laughs> of course. That's so funny. Well, I would have been in the top hundred if I was in the studio. I think. So I was curious to know, with all the things you do that you get paid for, what do you do out of your heart that, that you don't get paid for? And I, my, my researcher, who is Elizabeth Doheny, my daughter, oh, Liz. came up with how interested you are in climate change. Yeah. And you're really serious about it, Well, right? I'm more upset about it than anything because, <laughs> I, I, I mean, I have been tracking what went on at COP27 and, I mean, why aren't we serious about it? Like, this is, this is nuts. This is bananas. Like, I, you know, I'm, I'm serious about it to the point of obsession and it depressing me. Um, yeah. But we got to get from that to action. I think a lot of people who are concerned about it feel the same way. I mean, we know this. We all know what we have to do. The whole world knows what we have to do. And, I mean, it's the same for everything. I mean, there's just a lot of fuckery going on. And it's um, heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. You know what? We're reaching the end of our time to talk. But we always end every conversation with seven quick questions. And I can't wait to hear your answers to these questions. Judd Apatow loves you, by the way. Oh, isn't that yeah. nice? I admire him. He he sent me a picture of the Four Seasons, um, the movie poster, and that was, uh, he said, one of his inspirations for um, This is 40. Oh, that's so nice. Maybe he'd like to be on the show. Of course he would. Look at me, speaking for Judd Apatow. What an asshole. <laughs> I'll, I'll make it happen, Alan. <laughs> All right, here's the first question. What do you wish you really understood? What, what do I wish I understood? Why people won't do the right thing. Why people won't opt to do the right thing over wanting money. I wonder that too. How do you tell someone they have their facts wrong? Um, you may want to check. <laughs> um, is that right? I, I don't know about that. I'm I'm going to have to look it up. I would say instead of calling them out on being wrong, I would turn it to myself and say, I may be wrong. I'm going to look into it. Oh, that's great. What's the strangest question anyone has ever asked you? Um, are, are you a boy or a girl? There's been so many. I don't know. I'll go with are you a boy or a girl? Okay, how do you stop a compulsive talker? Walk away. You think you can actually do that? I don't know. I mean, there's it, it, it's such an interesting question because for me, it, it's so exhausting. And you only have a certain amount of time in the day. Yeah, and if somebody's just doing, like, as my friend Annie would say, and I would say, word salad at you, just... Yeah. Just like talking like they're a disclaimer on the radio. You know, I, I, I hope 
that my kids have learned this because that I, I so dearly have wanted to impart it to them. Listen when somebody's talking, take it in, and then think about what you want to say, and then you talk. And that's a conversation, you know? But yeah, compulsive talkers. I may have that disease. I better shut up now. <laughs> <laughs> Let's say you're sitting at a dinner table next to someone you don't know. Mm-hmm. How do you start up a genuine conversation with that person? Um, you know, it, it, it would just be something like, you know, how do you spell your name? Oh, oh that's, that's interesting. Yeah. I always ask people to, you know, like, it doesn't even matter if their name is Kathy. I'm like, well, how do you spell it with a C? What? And then I'll just, you know, it'll be just about like, where are you from? Where'd you grow up? What, you know, oh yeah, I, I'm a writer. Oh, what do you do? And, um, Common, common things. And, and when you don't, when you find something that you don't have in common, then that's the greatest because then you go down a wonderful new road. Okay. Next to last, what gives you confidence? Um, feeling safe, feeling safe and, um, uh, 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 doing doing my homework. Hmm. Mm, that's interesting. Okay. Last question: What book changed your life? Oh, oh God. There's a. Uh, well, I would start with "Free to Be You and Me." Hmm. One hundred percent. And I was supposed to meet Marlo Thomas when my dad was producing AM New York. Do you remember that? Yeah. And she was going to be the guest and I was going to be a kid and she was going to talk to a kid. And we both got sick that day. Oh, no kidding. And uh, last year she and I did a radio play with um, Renee Taylor and I got to finally meet her. That's great. But it's free to be you and me, Danny Champion of the World and The Color Purple. You know, this has been so much fun. I can't understand why we didn't talk during those decades we didn't talk. Well, I was always, you know, I was a kid and you're Alan and now we've reconnected. And please give my love to Arlene and Liz and all your kids. This has been so great. I will. Thank you, Pamela. Thank you, Alan. I love you. This has been Clear and Vivid. At least I hope so. My thanks to the Kavli Foundation for sponsoring this episode. The Kavli Foundation is dedicated to advancing science for the benefit of humanity. Pamela Adlon has been nominated for many Emmys, Golden Globes, and Writers Guild Awards, as well as having received the prestigious Peabody Award. She was the voice of Bobby Hill in King of the Hill, and she played the role of Marcy on Californication. Her hit series, Better Things, ran for 52 episodes over five seasons. The audiobook she narrated, Death by Unknown Event, is available on Audible. This episode was edited and produced by our executive producer, Graham Shedd, with help from our associate producer, Jean Chimay. Our publicist is Sarah Hill. Our researcher is Elizabeth Ohaney, and the sound engineer is Erica Huang. 
The music is courtesy of the Stefan Koenig Trio. You can subscribe to our podcast for free at Apple, Stitcher, or wherever you like to listen. Next in our series of conversations, I talk with Sarah Seeger. She's an astronomer who's written a beautiful and moving memoir called The Smallest Lights in the Universe. The book details her struggle raising her children after the death of her husband, while at the same time running an ambitious research program at a major university. And it tells how her pioneering work searching for life on planets beyond the solar system was inspired by the night sky. I first noticed the night sky as a child, actually. I always noticed the moon. You know how the full moon is always staring at you. And I remember at one of the earliest ages how being in the car with my dad, the moon was always following us. No matter how far we went or where the car turned, it was just always around. And a bit later, I got to see the dark night sky. I hope you've seen it. It's incredibly breathtakingly just astonishing. And I was shocked. I was wondering why no one had explained that existed. It was so amazing and beautiful. Sarah Seeger, next time on Clear and Vivid. For more details about Clear and Vivid and to sign up for my newsletter, please visit alanalda.com. And you can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Clear and Vivid. And I'm on Twitter at Alan Alda. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. son had a gift with technology. With reliable internet at home through the Internet Essentials program, the world opened up. He's part of this next generation of young people who feel they can thrive. Through Project Up, Comcast is committing $1 billion to help open doors for the next generation with the connectivity and skills they need to build a future of unlimited possibilities. It's time to take your career to the next level. With over 150 graduate degree programs, the Catholic University of America, located in Washington, D.C., provides world-class academics with a student experience that educates the whole person, mind, body, and spirit. Whether your professional calling is in engineering, nursing, social work, or any of our other exceptional degree programs, encounter the best of everything that Catholic University has to offer and discover the best in yourself. Learn more today at catholic.edu forward slash gradadmissions. Listening to your favorite podcast? That's smart. Earning your degree online from Southern New Hampshire University? That's really smart. With 24-7 access to coursework, no set class times, and dedicated student support, you can go to school when and where it works for you. Low online tuition means you can even do it for less. And dedicated student support means we'll be with you from day one to graduation and beyond. Join a community of learners just like you. Go to snhu.edu today to start your free application.